Thanks for joining us, folks, for Sunday School Bonanza, brought to you by This Week in Mormons. Find us at thisweekinmormons.com and on facebook.com slash thisweekinmormons. We are here to bring you gospel doctrine review and get you better prepared for the great things. But before we get to that, I would like to welcome back uh, one of the newer ones to our fold. Once again, Steve Pierce is in the house. Hello, everybody. Here he is, folks. It's going to bring you his erudition and make it happen. This week's lesson, Lesson 34, Faith in Every Footstep. What did they write that song for now that I'm thinking about it? Was that to celebrate like a decesentennial or something like that in 1997 probably? I just always associate it with the FY. Arriving in the Valley. That would make sense. I associate it with the Hinckley era. So I'm going to pull for it being the, is that how I say it? Not decicentennial. How do you say 150 years? Your guess is as good as mine. It's not a centennial. It's not a bicentennial. It's a whatever it was. So there's One that, and a half centennial. There's that song, folks. But why do they celebrate this song? Because pioneer stuff. This lesson, we are dealing basically exclusively with the trek across the plains. Um, one thing, of course, to note is that the, scripture is, the scriptures are full of numerous examples of people who journeyed to a promised land. Uh, and this isn't necessarily in order, but of course, the Book of Mormon contains the Jaredites who lingered in the wilderness for a long time, had the barges, tight like unto a dish. Well, next thing you know, they're in the Americas doing their thing. Nephi and his family, of course, the bulk of the Book of Mormon, we find that. Um, other popular examples are the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And one thing I kind of love of that, there, I th- I've always found a bit of a parallel in that uh, uh, Joseph Smith led the saints all over the places. They sort of wandered around America, but he did not get to see them kind of finished their journey in the valley, just as Moses actually never got to see the the Jews enter Canaan, which is just kind of, it's, it's an interesting parallel. It's, and it's also yeah. interesting because we don't, we often refer to Joseph as the American Moses, and I don't think, I think that's for different reasons. Yeah. But uh, I think that parallel is very interesting as well. He never saw the, what became the promised land, even though in church speak today, we still sort of revere Northwestern Missouri as the true Zion promised land, but it's like we've settled for the Wasatch Front yeah. for, in the meantime. It's the best like, we could do. And I guess we're fine there. It worked. They were isolated enough that we were able to survive. Yeah. So, uh, so I think it is good to think about that, that the Lord has commanded us to go on these journeys to promised lands at various points. And of course, this was no different for the saints. We talked last week about how conditions in Nauvoo had deteriorated uh, to such an extent that the saints had finally decided they had to pack up, they had to leave the temple behind. And go west. This was going to be it. They couldn't just keep bouncing around the Midwest and the Great Plains. They had to go somewhere much, much farther away. In this case, it was Mexico, you know, for a year. But yeah, they were knowingly saying, we're, we're leaving America, basically, and we are going somewhere away from authorities, away from oppression, and, uh, and soldiering out. But it wasn't very easy, and I think that's a great thing. We learn a lot from the, uh, especially from winter quarters. I think Steve's going to tell us a little bit more. Yeah, well, the church, uh, the church initially planned to leave Nauvoo in April of 1846, uh, which would have been springtime going into towards summer. It would have been nice weather, uh, and they were planning to get out. But because there was constant rumors that the Illinois State Militia was going to be coming to Nauvoo to prevent them from leaving, they actually end up having to leave early in February of 1846. So when they leave Nauvoo to go to winter quarters, it's it's the end of winter, yeah. going into a rainy spring. And so the road and the travel to uh, winter quarters is very tough. And it actually they actually only go 310 miles to winter quarters, but it takes them 131 days to get there. And the going is slow, and it's it's cold at the first part, and then it rains a lot once it gets into the spring. And it's really – and people die, and it's awful. It's terrible. And to put that in a modern perspective, the distance, it's basically just crossing modern-day Iowa, effectively. Yeah. They went across Iowa. Winter quarters today is basically just Omaha. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's why there's a temple today, and it's just in suburban Omaha, Nebraska, just so you all have a, a kind of a context right there. They basically went from the Mississippi River to the Missouri River. Yeah, it's not it's Ohio. not yeah. a long it's not a long not, jaunt, but yeah. it's it takes them 131 days, and it's interesting because it's it's so tough, and and they they experience so much hardship. Um, but at the same time, it's it can kind of be seen as a preparatory uh, a preparatory journey where they learn and where they grow and when they and kind of figure things out for the longer journey that they will eventually take from winter quarters to Salt Lake Valley, which is a thousand miles, and they do it in twenty one fewer days. So they yeah. do it three weeks faster, but go three more than three times as far. So they kind of ironed out the kinks going from going from Nauvoo to winter quarters. And so while it was a really tough time and it was really a lot of hardship. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot to be learned there, mm-hmm. and how else did the Lord? Because um, section one thirty six is full of a lot of instructions, especially just preparations. I think that the Lord told him to do in order to get ready. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, like for example, in section three in verse three of that section. Uh, the Lord instructed them to organize companies under the direction of the twelve, with a president, two counselors, a captain of hundreds, fifties, tens, which I think is a very obvious. Uh, analog to uh, how we organize things in the church today. I right. mean, uh, but it makes sense. They went in an organized fashion. They had to iron the kinks out, but this wasn't just the saints packing up with the 12 kind of vaguely leading them, perhaps. And it was just a free-for-all across the plains, hoping they made it. It was It was a very... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a reasonable, you know, regimented, organized process. No, it's very orderly, and that's essentially what uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 136 is. That that revelation is given in January of 1847. Uh, they don't leave for another few months, but that's essentially the Lord setting forth and saying, you know, to Brigham Young through Brigham Young, this is how you're going to do it. We're gonna you're going to leave in a few months. You're going to set forth in this structure, and you're going to prepare in this way. Um, you're going to prepare for those who are going to have to stay behind. You're going to take care of the poor. And he gives very specific yeah. instructions. And, you know, if you've ever led a large group of people in any type of undertaking, let alone leading them across the plains from a place like Winter Quarters to, Salt Lake, to the Salt Lake Valley, which is a thousand miles, and in the initial company there was about 3,500 people, that if you don't have specific guidelines and specific rules and specific structures in place, mm-hmm. you are not going to succeed. So this is the Lord preparing the saints to succeed in this massive undertaking, which is going to be hard, um, but it's made a little bit easier by the fact that the Lord prepares them and, and, and tells them exactly what they need to do to get ready. Exactly. And then building on that, he also, uh, as we move sort of into the next part of the lesson, the Lord also gave them very specific instructions, not just on how to be organized, but on their conduct while they were out doing this, which is interesting because, of course, we have conduct just from the general, just living the gospel and everything. But uh, to just kind of pick apart some of the, the specifics here, it says, of course, if any man seek to build power up himself and seeketh not my counsel, he shall have no power. I think that humility was very important and also given everything they dealt with in the still reasonably unresolved succession crisis, but those who chose to follow the Twelve, Obviously, I think the, at this point, the Lord is trying to remind them, like, hey, I don't want more people trying to think they can rise up and take power into themselves and guide, and, and take the reins of this entire experience. Um, also, of course, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. I think that's exceptionally important. I think during a grueling period of time, it would be a lot easier, of course, to uh, blaspheme in that sense and be frustrated. But cease to contend with one another, return borrowed or lost items, and be diligent in preserving uh, what thou hast. And that one's interesting to me because I think that one's an, a, a great precursor in the way I honestly read that. And I think of, of emergency preparedness in a sense, mm-hmm. preserving what thou hast, be ready for the worst. And it's 
obviously a huge part of who we are as Latter-day Saints today to have our, our food supply and our emergency kits and all that and all that stuff. So. Yeah, and all that's really, all that focus on, you know, preservation and being a wise steward and, and preparing for the worst, that all is very informed by our the early years of our faith and these travails yeah. that the church went to when we were a very, you know, people think of the church now as being very affluent and, you know, having all these investments, but for most of the church's history, we were a very impoverished people. And so preparing for the future and, and storing up um, for the hard times, uh, especially when you're making a trek across the United States, uh, that's important stuff. And I think what's really interesting about some of these directions that the Lord gives in section 136 um, that you just touched on is that all of them, for the most part, are a lot of them are for are really governing and giving advice on how to interact with one another and deal with your fellow man. And when you think mm-hmm. about, uh, in context, what they're doing, there's, they're out in the middle of nowhere trekking across vast expanses of nothingness at this point. And if they don't stick together and if they don't keep together and, and if they break apart, uh, people die and people, things yeah. go badly and they don't, make, they don't make it to their destination. People die, people get sick, people get hurt. Um, and things that would sow those seeds of discord, like saying like return, borrow, or lost items, that seems kind of silly now. But think about, you know, in a church where we have you know, histories of, of top leaders leaving over milk strippings. Yeah. Uh, those types of small, seemingly small personal things and like just basic, like how do you treat your fellow human beings and brothers and sisters in Zion and stuff, that stuff can grow and become a powder well, keg huge, that, yeah. that splits people and, and divides people, especially when you're in a stressful environment like these yeah. people are in. So I see these, these, gui- these guidelines as really um, a way to stay unified yeah. and a way to keep that unity of purpose and spirit uh, as you undertake this this really tough task. And we find it's funny because, of course, they still struggled well after the fact once the saints were pretty much entrenched in Utah. I mean, the church, the interesting thing is uh, a lot of the leadership councils in the church functioned in a civic capacity for a mm-hmm. long time as well to adjudicate involving just stupid things like this. If it was stealing from your neighbor, if it was water rights, all these amazing things affected them much more on a real basis in uh, the way the church was governed at that time. It wasn't until much, much later that the church kind of finally bowed out and let then, you know, Utah territory law be the law and then let, you know, religious law be one, the other thing. Another thing, a bit of instruction. Uh, I just want to read this because I honestly think it's kind of amusing, but in a good way. President David O. McKay taught about appropriate recreation. This is a good mm, thing yes. for us to consider. And so this is what President McKay taught. And I love President McKay. It says, On the plains, after a day's march, the wagons were drawn up in a circle. A man with the violin would take his place by the campfire, and there on the prairie, the sturdy pioneers would join hands in a dance, opening it by a prayer and participate in amusement that fostered the spirit of the gospel. President Brigham Young said, or once said, in substance... The atmosphere of the dance should be such that if any elder be called from the party to go to administer to a sick person, he could leave with the same spirit that he would go from his elders quorum meeting. So I guess the 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 long and short of it is after a long day pulling your handcart, it's it's cool to cut loose, but don't cut too don't loose. Don't cut too loose. So this is a message I honest this is an honest criticism. Dan- youth dances in the church today I don't think – I'm not one that's like wild – I don't care a ton about censorship and stuff. But if we're trying to have standards, we need to perhaps just think about some of the songs that are sometimes played at church dances, which can be 
extremely sexually suggestive. Are there any ones that you really want to call out specifically? Just Usher here, in general. Mm, just Usher. Usher. He, he, he can cut a little too loose at He just cuts too loose. He can't go administer to anybody. Well, you know. All right. So eventually, the Saints make it to the Salt Lake Valley. So, huzzah, they finally arrived. They get into the Rocky Mountains. I love that there was a uh, – Joseph Smith did prophesy about this, though. He said that, quote, the saints would continue to suffer much affliction and would be driven to the Rocky Mountains, and that some of them would, would live to go and assist in making settlements and build cities and see the saints become a mighty people in the midst of the Rocky Mountains, which is awesome. And that was way back in uh, – you know, so that's what Joseph Smith history – teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith – it happened way before the fact, and, but the prophet knew it was going to come eventually. He knew they'd have to go settle elsewhere on the rim of the Great Basin. Um, I don't honestly have a ton to add on to them arriving in the valley other than th- they had problems as well, but they stuck around. They built up their society, and, and today we have Utah. So Yeah, I mean, you have uh, 70,000 people that make that trek over the next 20 years and, and ultimately land in Utah, and a lot of those companies... Um, were difficult and had, had difficulties and, and struggles, and they went at different times of the year and, and faced the elements. The lesson actually mentions uh, one of my favorite stories from the history of the church, which is the story of uh, Mary Fielding Smith, mm-hmm. who crosses the plains. Um, she's Hiram Smith's second wife after his first wife, Jerusha, dies, and he has Hiram had five kids with his first wife, and Mary Fielding Smith agrees to like take them in as her own and then Hiram of course is assassinated and so Mary Fielding Smith chooses to go with the 12 and she lugs five children with her across the plains by herself no man she's this is like the epitome of strong independent woman and when they when she sets out in 1848 to leave from winter quarters to the Salt Lake Valley uh the head of her handcart company this brother says, you know, you're not ready for this. You can't take five kids across the plains by yourself without any help. You need to stay here. You need to get more prepared. You need to get somebody to help you. And she basically tells him, look, I'm going, and I'm going to be there before you will, and I'm not going to ask for your help. And she beats him there by like 20 hours, ultimately, because she's just <laughs> awesome. And she Chick had, power. Yeah, and she has, and she, you know, has difficulty along the way and her son is obviously joseph fielding smith who becomes the prophet um but and he's nine at the time and he's driving the wagons and they it's hard for them but they make do and that's i think her story is inspiring because of you know it's you know for me it's a strong independent woman and it's you know going through adversity and relying on the lord and all those things uh to ultimately get to the promised land but i think it's also representative of so many other uh members of the church at this time who you know may not this is not an ideal thing for them they really suffered and went through hard times to get here but it was so important for them to get to utah it was so important for them to find that promised land and to follow uh the quorum of the 12 um and so and so they they went through a lot and it was but it was worth it and so i think that's inspiring it is inspiring and they toughed it out i mean i know one of the great reasons we try to remember our pioneer heritage in the church is because we have it a lot better than they ever did. And I think it's important that we... That's why we do it, though. So we have that perspective to remember these people went through insane things. and they But they toughed it out. And they stuck with it. They didn't let their faith waver. They kept going. They arrived. They made it work. And it's just amazing to me when, of course, we face different things in our journey, mm-hmm. in, our, in our journey into our promised land, our journey of exaltation in these modern days. But it's amazing how easy it can be for us to also get sidetracked um, when perhaps, respectively, there's not as much on our plate that we might have had, at least not as much as far as physical maladies and just no. trudging through life and making it happen. It is all relative. but uh, Yeah, it is. But, but I, I very much appreciate 
what these pioneers did. And that's a thing. And that's amazing how much of an effect that's had on our church. And it's, we, I mean, we talk about it all the time. We have songs all about pioneers. It's, it's this massive chunk of who we are. Yeah, very much defines. I mean, there's a couple, if you were to ask somebody, even somebody that's not a member of the church, uh, who has very limited knowledge of Mormons, and you ask, what, what do you think? What are things that come to mind when you ask, when you think about Mormons? You probably get polygamy. You'd probably get a few other things. And one of the things that you would get is this pioneer heritage. We're known, at least yeah. in America, yeah. as some of those first groups to really settle the American West and make that trek across. And it's a huge part of who we are, and it defines and feeds into so much of who we are today. A lot of those, a lot of the things we care about, like food storage and emergency preparedness and stuff like that, exactly. feed out of that early experience and the really tremendous and Herculean undertaking that these people yeah. um that they did that said i think it's a good thing from a church standpoint but i will say the pioneer day confuses the heck out of saints abroad they do not understand Mormon. yeah well i mean i've yeah like I, when i've been abroad they're like what huh what hand cards wagons these are just alien concepts to people elsewhere so it's good to honor i think the church heritage but from like the societal cultural standpoint it's just totally lost on the saints in india and japan and whatever else but fair enough that's okay though i mean you know it all works out well folks we hope you'll read up on pioneer day of course read sections uh, 136 is really the big one to hit on today if you're reading our heritage pages 71 through 77 uh, we glossed over some other things like the brooklyn the ship brooklyn but you know hey a boat went to san francisco and then they came the other way so uh, pick your poison go around the cape go to san francisco cross nevada i don't know i they honestly got there think, in the end i honestly think crossing nevada is probably worse than crossing the great plains there's not very much water in nevada no no it's terrible so uh lesson 34 faith in every footstep steve thanks for being with us no problem sir appreciate having you here folks hope you'll find us at uh twitter facebook at thisweekinmormons.com all that stuff subscribe do it all the sunday school bonanza hoping you have a great sunday bye-bye